Second Uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. I found the life that I liked and I worked toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah. Big love. Hi, uplifters. This is Gordon Bakulis, and I'm nominating Danae Dorme as an uplifter. Danae is curious, thoughtful. She's so inspiring. She loves storytelling, and she just truly uplifts everyone around her through connecting and telling stories, and I think she is just amazing. Welcome to the Uplifters Podcast. I'm your host, Aranza Savas, and you just heard Gordon Bakulis introducing Danae Dorme. Danae, thank you for being here. Hi, everyone. My name is Danae Dormi. I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation. I typically like to actually introduce myself. That way I can explain my four clans. It's very customary for Navajo people to make sure that we introduce ourselves for any relatives or new connections that we might be making in this space. I am based here in Albuquerque, New Mexico on Tiwa lands, and I was born and raised here. I'm an avid runner, and I'm also the host and producer of my own podcast. So it's awesome when I can be on other people's shows. But I have the Grounded Podcast with Danae Dormy, which I've had since about 2020. I've been on hiatus for about a year and a half now, but I'm getting ready to relaunch it this fall. There's something so powerfully holistic in the way that you introduced yourself and you told us where you come from, where you are and where you're going. For so many of us, we just walk into a room, we keep it pretty uninformative when we meet people and we say in some ways the least truthful thing we can say, which is some version of, hey, fine, good, nice to meet you. And I think intentionally or unintentionally, it just creates more distance. Yeah. And I that's why I love native-led spaces in a lot of cases that there's introductions happening or there's such a valued part of meeting people. And whether you're Navajo or from another tribe, you probably have your own way of introducing yourself and making sure that people know where you come from and who your relatives are. And my introduction is very specific to me being Diné. So I feel like that's important to me, but it's different for everyone. Yeah. And I think every person will hear something in it that's different for them, or they might connect to different pieces of your your story or your heritage. It inherently creates space for connection as opposed to difference or distance. I listen to your story and I think, oh, you know, this is someone who loves her family, who has a deep connection to her heritage, who's a runner. I'm a runner. I have a deep connection to my heritage. I have a deep connection to my lineage and my family. And I have a podcast. Oh my gosh, we have so much in common. I can't (laughs) wait to talk to you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I so appreciate both that tradition and you sharing 
more of you with us. So I'm curious, of course, about, I mean, I want to talk about all of it, but let's talk about the podcast. What inspired you to start The Grounded Pod? I started it back in 2020. I got funded through a fellowship from a running apparel brand and they were doing a creative fellowship for the first time ever where they were going to put money in the hands of creators. And I had been toying around with the idea of having a podcast. I've been running my whole life. A big part of my story have been about my family being really involved in sports in the local community. My dad is a lifelong track and field coach and also basketball coach. And he has always worked at really big high schools in New Mexico. Um, I played for my dad and ran for my dad, but I also have this cultural appreciation for running as a Navajo person, given that it is so grained and intertwined in our ceremonies, our daily practices. I had actually just left my previous job, which meant I moved all the way across the country from Connecticut back home to New Mexico. Hadn't lived in New Mexico in you know about seven years. So I was feeling a little lost while I was excited to be home, trying to find my way living at home as an adult and making this huge change when I thought back in high school, okay, I'm going to like go off to the East Coast and stay there forever. And I realized I wanted to be home to be near my community. But in that time, I was running a lot because I think I was maybe a little lonely, like maybe just a little bit looking for connection. And I was exposed to podcasts, something I didn't really know existed. I started searching for podcasts and running and I started realizing that there was a lot of conversations that weren't happening that I really wanted to hear. Uh, There was pretty much no Indigenous runners ever interviewed or represented in the spaces. And I knew that they were out there. And anytime Native women were on other people's show, it was totally like a DEI like toolkit. It was it was them coming on there to explain to everyone, you know, in that listener base what it's like to be Native and what it's like to be indigenous and why our traditions are the way they are. And I wasn't getting anything out of those episodes. I was like, I want something hosted by a native person so that there's more depth to these conversations. And these people are treated like whole human beings with passions and lives and interests that go beyond their identity as a native person. So I think that's really what sparked it. And um, and I did receive that fellowship funding and that just helped me buy equipment. But I had already kind of been thinking about things and putting it into movement, but I had a full-time job. You talk about hearing these other voices in your ears as you run. And I think that's such a big part of podcasting. It's such a big part of community. Who we hear in our heads has a huge influence on what we think, what we feel and what we do. And so sometimes people like us have to just create the vehicle (laughs) by which we get to hear those people more regularly. So what has it been like for you to cultivate the voices in your head? I didn't have a lot of avenues to discuss track and field other than with my dad, (laughs) which he was on the podcast, (laughs) but I think it was healing to talk to other runners and And people I wanted to hear from to help fuel my own running. And I think being able to make the show I wanted to make helped me help me through a lot of I mean, helped me through the pandemic in a lot of ways. It helped me with my relationship with running. And I think it changed my life in a lot of ways. How did it change your relationship to running? That's a really tricky question because I know I just said it it helped my relationship with running and it did initially, but I do think it was complicated. Having a running podcast is a really difficult thing if you are a runner. For me, I can't speak for other running podcasters. 
when I first started podcasting, I was running a lot. And I think what ended up happening is the physical act of running became so wrapped up in my show. People asking me what I was training for, having to talk about it on every episode, people following me on Strava and Garmin and all these apps that we have to track people. I felt like my world was closing in on me in a lot of ways. And so I got really disconnected from running after about a year of that. And it also it also was unfortunate because I got injured as well. But even after healing injury and moving through kind of like chronic pain and injury issues, the podcast kind of made running a little bit a little bit tougher. Even when I was running, I stopped listening to podcasts because the podcast became a lot bigger than I had planned. I was so overwhelmed because I would work my full job. And then at five, I would start working on the podcast. So running was my break, but also in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like my break. It wasn't the decompressing source that I used to have. And so it was hard. And I'm just now starting to repair that relationship. Yeah. I see why you describe it as complicated because it took something that was so pure and that you had done for love, it sounds like, since childhood. And it, in a sense, commoditized it and made it not just yours, but it sort of belonged to your audience and to your mission. I talked to so many amazing founders on this podcast and we get this incredible, inspiring advice to go hard, to go big or go home. And I think there's a place for that. There are moments where that's really what it takes is being all in and there is being all in in a way that is sustainable and finding those divides. Definitely. So what does that look like for you? I'll just be honest. I never really found that balance. And that's something that I am hoping to find as I relaunch the podcast this fall. I put the show on hiatus a little over a year and a half ago, primarily because it hurt my relationship with running so much and also my mental health. I, I loved the show deeply and I still do. And I'm still really proud of the episodes I put out there and the people I got to meet were super amazing uh, in the industry. And some of them are my close friends now. But ultimately, not being able to go on a run and have it as a place in my life that I could feel relaxed. And I also at the time think I didn't know how to turn off like the Strava and the Garmin. I would try to get away from measuring my runs, from posting them on social media, from taking pictures, because that was really a big part of being a running podcast host, people were interested in my journey. They wanted to know like what I eat, what I, how what my routine is like, like things like that. And that was all really fun, but I think it also didn't feel real sometimes. And so I've tried to turn everything off, but it was so hard. As I move forward this fall, I'm hoping that the sustainability piece comes in me being able to just be more private about certain things while I am a podcaster. I'm having to reconnect with running now. I just barely started running again this this past month and I hadn't really run in almost two years. I'm just now feeling like not only am I physically capable, I'm also like, okay, my mental health is in the right place to actually use my garment again, actually go out for a run. I'm going to hide it from other people's visibility and I'm going to do this for myself and and figure out how long I need to get back to a place where I can be more public about my running again. But I think I'm just learning that the podcast is separate from my running journey. And I think I want to keep it separate to some extent because having the conversations I have are great and I can be in those conversations and relating to other runners, but I can also have my own running journey that doesn't have to be the content of my show if I don't want it to be. You had a lot of wisdom 
to be able to say, maybe this is fun, but holistically, I don't feel joy in something that I loved. I don't feel that the overarching benefits that I needed to do this work are being met by this way that I'm doing it now. Right. So what was it like for you to say, I'm going to have to call the shots and pause? Yeah, it was definitely one of the harder points of my life. And I really don't say that lightly as I was approaching, you know, 40, 50 episodes that I was not okay. I, when I think back to that time, a lot of people were totally seeing that I was having a successful run at podcasting and that, you know, I was increasing in downloads and I was talking about the show a lot and it was kind of my social media persona and people would constantly talk to me about it. Like I was meeting, I was going to road races in my hometown and around the country and people were coming up to me and that had just never happened to me before in my life. And I loved those pieces. It was really fun to meet people and really amazing to see, you know, who was listening and just realize like, whoa, this reached places I never really thought it would. But on the back end, I was in such a dark place at that time. It was getting so tiring to do this unpaid work that I know was helping people. I was getting feedback and the conversations themselves were really fun. But at night I was crying or really stressed trying to make the deadline. I hadn't pulled all-nighters since college and I was pulling all-nighters during the podcast because it was just such a hard thing to keep going. And I was going to my job at, you know, 9 a.m. and working till five and then, you know, finding time to record an episode and edit it and put out all my graphics. And it was so overwhelming. And it sound it sounds silly because I don't think people know how much work goes into a podcast and it depending on, you know, what you're willing to put into it. But I was putting pretty much everything I had into it. And so when I say it was probably the biggest professional decision I had had to make to step away from it, I really mean that because I had thought about halfway through that run of it that it was going to be my career and that it had totally shifted my perspective. And I think I had a I had a good shot of doing that at that point. But it was so challenging to do it with my job and to do it with the circumstances I was facing. I mean, even in my job, I was supporting Native students through this college application process that is not built for them. And that the stresses of that job, like I never even got to process or or really talk about. And it was just too much to handle. And I don't think I had felt like my mental health crumble like that ever before. And my family and friends, I think just, I finally determined, like, I think I need a break, like a big break. And I had actually only intended to take that break for about a month, maybe, maybe two weeks. Like, I remember I was like, oh, I'll just take a little break. And I did come back after the holidays for a couple episodes. And it was those few episodes that really opened my eyes to, to, wow, okay, that wasn't enough. So it, it was some trial and error. It's not like I put it on hiatus and said, all right, I'm walking away from it forever or maybe for the you know foreseeable future. I try to be really honest with people about that, that I put out like three episodes or something. People were super excited. They were back. But on the back end, it was re-traumatizing me from what I had experienced the year before. And I have not healed from the year I experienced like in this spotlight and also in all this work. And I just realized like, this is going to be something I'm going to have to like, let kind of fall to the wayside. And that was that was a hard pill to swallow, because I felt like I was giving up on myself. I felt like I was giving up on my dream. I felt like there was something wrong with me that I couldn't hack it. I think that in the podcasting industry, as I'm sure you know, that there's sort of this 
feeling that like if you don't make it past a certain number of weeks or months that your podcast is not legitimate or that you couldn't make it. It was really just battling those words from other people and having to respect that I was doing really, really poorly at that time (laughs) and that I needed like help and a break and some rest and I hadn't run in months. And so I have just made peace with like whatever people think is whatever people think, because at the end of the day, like what I'm going through is more important. And it did take some, you know, some support from, from people I love to, to tell me that and to help me through that. But I did get there. So here I am now. (laughs) And you're a human being, right? You're not a machine. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of I'm going to turn this on or off, but it is impacting every aspect of your being to invest this much energy and passion and work into something that was giving you a lot and taking a lot. And I think we forget that part of the balance so often when we're doing passion and purpose-driven work. And to me, that's what makes an uplifter. It's somebody who does what they believe is right, who invests time, energy, and resources into supporting, encouraging, uplifting that which they believe in. And that can be really freaking exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) And so to me, the whole purpose of this show is to tell stories where we all have an invitation to tune in to the early warning signals that we need a more sustainable solution. And I mean, I have to do it for myself all the time. It's part of why I like hosting the show because I'm like doing this self-assessment as I'm listening to you going, am I okay? Is this sustainable? Can I keep it going in this way? Because it is a lot of work. And I think that's true in parenting and relationships and friendship and certainly in work. We need to make those assessments and ask ourselves, how am I? So my hope is that the uplifters out there listening to you are doing their own self-assessment right now. And they're saying, hey, this thing I'm passionate about that I'm pouring all this energy into, is it sustainable the way I'm doing it? Or is there an opportunity for me to adjust it and keep going to take a pause, to stop it altogether? Every single one of those is a great answer. Yeah. (laughs) We only think it isn't because we hear those voices in our heads that are like, you must keep going. Everybody's expecting this. Yeah, definitely. Such as an energy zap too, because then it brings in the sense of obligation. Right. Which is the opposite of the energy we're trying to create, which is creative and open and curious. So here you are on the precipice, congratulations, of relaunching it for now, right? I'm like lovingly saying to you you and me and all of us, We get to say yes, and then we can stop again if we don't want to. But what do you want for this next chapter? I always talked about the need for rest, and I've always kind of unapologetically taken it. I think, especially like with my values as a Navajo person, I've always put balance in my life at the forefront of things, and I've always made sure that there was time for my family and what I needed in my life. And so that's something I think I've been pretty good about because these industries just like keep turning us forward. And and I think it, it did like kind of disrupt that a little bit for me. But luckily, I have always been really honest about that. I think this time around, I've just set myself up for more success because I've continued to be resourceful. I think that's probably one of my biggest strengths in life is that I'm like, okay, where do I find funding? How do I find support here? And this time around, I have 
change jobs so that I could keep chasing this. And I think the biggest thing that I've done is like not give up on myself. I left my job and I started working for a social entrepreneurship incubator. And I have sort of a hybrid role there where I help support early stage uh, nonprofits and projects. And then I'm also an early stage project with my podcast. I get to like intertwine it in all, all my work. So that is very special to me. And I worked really hard to just make sure that there is space in my life for the podcast. I don't think the podcast would have been so overwhelming if it had been my only job or if I had even been addressing like my own mental health before I started it. And this year and a half I took off, like I really did address my own mental health and some of the things like injuries I was going through, personal things I was going through. It wasn't even just the podcast that kind of cracked me. I don't think I had really taken stock of the past decade of my life, how much trauma I had endured uh, as a native student at like an elite, like predominantly white institution in college and then continued to work for that institution for years after it, being the only native person in my office for such a long time and constantly fighting for things, constantly fighting for myself, constantly fighting for native students. And I hadn't thought really through like, hey, maybe I need to like take a pause and heal some of these things before I jump into a new opportunity. And so I think that hiatus was that pause. And as I move forward, I'm just really looking forward to the next chapter because I've never really embarked on anything feeling this healthy. And I think that was maybe just part of getting a little bit older <laughs> and feeling more settled. But I feel more ready for whatever challenges arise here. And and I hope my show takes just a slightly different form. I want to talk to people in different arenas, not just athletes. I had previously just spoken to runners. I'm going to be expanding into more sports. But I also want to spend a little more time talking to coaches, people on the business side of the sports industry, particularly women and people of color and indigenous folks. So that was something I really prioritized in Ungrounded before. And I want to continue to do that, but in some new spaces now. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that part in your story before that this happened right after you moved home. And so there was this act of coming home and you were already in this huge period of transition in your life when you started this. Mm-hmm. And then I keep thinking too of something that one of our guests said a while back as I listened to your story, teach from your scars, not your wounds. Mm -hmm. And the reason she says that, of course, I think is so evident in your story, which is when we're trying to guide others from a place that we haven't healed, it re-injures us over and over again. But if we can create the time and the space to truly heal, then we put ourselves in a position to be able to sustainably guide and support others through a similar trauma. Definitely. And I think the example I was setting was maybe not the healthiest either because I had kind of just continued to push forward. And it was kind of all I knew to do. So it is what it is. But I had just kind of kept pushing like, here's my next opportunity. I started realizing like, whoa, I've really never... I think that the thing I really took stock of at 31 is that I really hadn't had a break since I was in high school. So much trauma has happened in between in all the different communities I've been a part of at home and also, you know, away at school and in all my jobs and in my personal life. And so I think I was just realizing like I've worked almost every day of my life since I was like a junior in high school. <laughs> I had never taken a break over a week and a half, maybe in all of my jobs since high school. I worked every summer through college. I mean, I was just thinking about how little break time I had had since I was a kid. And that was 
devastating to me to know that my body hadn't rested in so long and I hadn't even noticed. And I'm sure that's not unusual. My rest still wasn't quite rest because I took off the podcast. I still had a full nine to five job, but it was restful for me because it meant that every day when I finished my work, the time was mine. I've always been an extracurricular minded person because I'm indigenous. I've always been involved in movements and organizations and activism where I'm rallying with other people or I'm putting unpaid labor into an issue I care about. And I've always been happy to do that, but it's draining. And so I think particularly for folks who engage in that work, it's so important to step back and understand that it's like really, really necessary to just have not a few weeks, not a few months, but like almost a full year of like here, every moment of my time, my free time, I'm going to dedicate it to myself for a long period of time. And I had to do that. It was so hard. I carried a lot of anxiety for several months about doing that. And now I'm so much better at it. You've trained yourself in the same way you would train yourself to race. You've trained yourself to rest. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So what will that look like in your new routine? running was like a cultural activity. It was a really important piece of who I am. And movement was an important piece of who I am and seeing my family, being able to be there for my family. So in this new role I have, I have a work from home situation where I'm able to maybe go for a run at lunch instead of sitting at a desk all day and not having flexibility, being able to organize my work where I need it and when I want it. I do have to make more of an effort to get out and see friends. Even though I have colleagues, they're all virtual. I spend most of my day alone. So every night it's like, okay, what can I do to get out and see my family or go, you know, see people that make me feel re-energized and good. It's important for me to do things outside of my house. So that's a big part of my new routine. I love that. And you're in a place that I think we find ourselves in a lot in life and that we can kind of take for granted, which is a time of overarching upheaval in our routines. And so these great big transitions where we are doing every part of our day a little differently or a lot differently can be really disorienting. And I think As I hear you, I'm reminded what an incredible opportunity they are to design the lives we want Mm -hmm. based on the lives we've had, what's worked, what hasn't, and to really intentionally create the day we live every day. There's so much I've been through that I have never said publicly or I've never said on a podcast or I've never put out there in any significant way, but I know what I've been through. And I think the past year, but also my entire life, I've been relentlessly obsessed with choosing happiness. Like that is something I do very consciously because I've spent so much of my life doing advocacy work and so much of my life taking care of other people and experiencing really heavy things at a really young age too. So I think as I move forward as an adult, I know that I can't be the best person I can be unless I really take care of myself. And unless I'm I'm not just taking care of myself too, but I'm really choosing like happiness. If I don't have energy for this issue anymore, I can't like continue to fight for it every single day. But I have to find other ways to support things and I have to make sure I'm happy because as a native podcaster, when I do public appearances or panels, there's a tendency for people to look at me like maybe 
I'm separated from my community or they, they somehow I get detached from my own community experiences. I think when non-native people talk to me, there's sort of this like feeling of, well, you made it and native people are over here dealing with this, but you're not dealing with that because you are here talking with us and, you know, whatever it may be. So I, I feel like I get detached from my like community experience a lot, but it's like day to day, I've been the only native person in most rooms or I am working with, you know, a native organization where it's all native people all day, but those are all very unique experiences. And I've, I've dealt with everything from microaggressions to just flat out clear racism in my professional jobs. And I've dealt with that in the podcast industry too. And from brands and from people I've met. And so I'm still like attached to my experience as a brown indigenous woman. But I think as soon as you kind of gain a platform or start working towards something and you're seen as a leader, I think people detach you from that experience of your community. And I always try to bring myself back and remind myself like, I need support too. Like I spent all my time out here talking about how I need to support Native women and I need to stand up for native women and that is awesome but i'm also like i'm a native woman like i need i need support too and i forget that because i let other people take that away from me sometimes so that is really important to me moving forward is keeping that in mind and knowing that i have native women i can lean on as well and take care of myself cuz the ultimate goal is for me to find happiness as a native woman just like i wish for other native women what an important reminder to all of us, even though none of us have the exact experience that you do, I think there is a universal truth in that for uplifters. And that so often, whether it is women who are survivors of abuse or illness, or women who are even founders, they are helping others who have been through what they have experienced and forget that they are still that woman who needs that same support and all of those same needs and tools and resources that brought them to this moment still exist. And it, it's not something that we give enough airtime to. Yeah, it's been a big part of my experience because when I got thrust into the limelight in podcasting, I think people really loved to focus on two things about me, that I went to Yale and that I am sort of well-spoken on this podcast. And they would point out those things and kind of treat me like maybe I was different or like, and I'm like, okay, all my friends at Yale were other Native students and we all went through really hard things there together. And those were my allies. Those were my people. And I think people maybe sometimes misunderstand my experience that it's like incredibly isolating and there's so much culture shock involved with working at, you know, a an institution like that. And there's also just a lot of trauma involved in being at and working at an institution like that because our communities, like they come with us there, right? To that institution and to any workspace we're in and we can't escape who we are. So I've just tried to be better at talking about that more. I really want people to understand that I'm not a poster child or some sort of golden child, right? Like I, I'm still dealing with a lot of the same things that people in my community are dealing with. And I'm still very much a part of it. And I'm still figuring out how to navigate that. And I, first and foremost, I'm always going to prioritize other people in my community in that journey and their healing as well. So just something I, I tried, I'm trying to carry forward in the new chapter. Yeah. And I can hear in that how it lightens the load 
of that prior chapter because it it doesn't expect you to carry the experience of generations. It doesn't expect you to hide your truth, but it sounds like to summarize what this next chapter is for you, it is one in which there is that word that you you said over and over again, there's happiness. And that that is an honoring of yourself, an honoring of where you've been, an honoring of where you want to go with integrity instead of inside some pretty box that somebody else painted and said, hey, crawl in here and look the way we want you to look and sound the way we want you to sound. Yeah. And I feel like it's my responsibility to set that example because if there's one thing I want for other Native women, it's happiness. I just don't think enough of us get to experience like personal joy that comes for us. And I've had to grapple with whether or not that's selfish, but I've just sort of landed on like, it's not. Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) so so I highly (laughs) encourage that. (laughs) You use that word responsibility, right? And I can totally sense in you how strongly you hold your responsibilities. It's probably part of the reason that you showed up for work every day for all of those years. There is a sense of accountability and responsibility that runs deep in you. And ultimately, I think this next chapter is about returning that responsibility back to you. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's, I couldn't have said it better. (laughs) I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Thank you for the work you're doing out in the world, the work you're doing for yourself and for sharing so honestly what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And it was a really great exercise too and reflecting because I haven't yet relaunched the show, but as I was reflecting on some of the stories before we started recording and thinking about some of the challenges I faced and some of the things I'm looking forward to, it was like very therapeutic to also take stock of the past year and a half and realize like, hey, I I think I feel very ready for a lot of things. So yeah, I appreciate the conversation. Such a joy. Here's to creating the podcaster life that brings you the most happiness. Yes, same to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Let's do it. For those of you listening, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening so deeply to this conversation and hearing, I hope, an experience that is both profoundly specific and universal to each of us who aim to do our best and be our best in the world. May we all find as much happiness as possible. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the Uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at the upliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Mwah! Big love. Painted water sunshine with rosemary and tongue. Dwell in the perplexing, though you find it vexing. Toss a star and hover, be your own best lover. Relish in a new prime, plant a tree in springtime. Dance with idle hindsight, bring the sun to twilight. Lift you up. 